Welcome back to another Box to Box WSL episode. I'm Alexi Baceta, your host. And as usual, as every week, you know, I'm joined by Jesse Parker Humphreys and Abdullah Abdullah. How are you two? I've had better weekends. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. Good. Start of the week. So we're good. Oh, God. It's a Monday, isn't it? Well, well second day of the week for me. Yeah, fair. I, well, it's definitely been a hell of a week for women's in women's football. A hell of a week if you're a Chelsea fan, especially. Um, and But there's only so much that we can talk about in this episode. There is a lot to cover. And we're kind of, instead of doing a separate uh, Women's Champions League episode in WSL, we're kind of morphing it into one. Um, so, of course, we all did watch the Women's Champions League. PSG threw, drew 1-1 with Barcelona in what was a really good game of football from a you know football neutral perspective, not as... Much of a fun game to watch as a fan. Um, and then, of course, another bad day for Jesse. Well, not necessarily bad day, but a very stressful day. And Abdullah as well. Uh, we saw Bayern win 2-1 over Chelsea. And what I thought was a really well-executed game, game plan from Bayern and a really, really poor game from Chelsea, whose only goal was accidental. <laughs> and we can get to that later. Um, but we'll start in order. So we'll start with PSG versus Barcelona. Um, Jenny Hermoso opened the scoring in the 13th minute and it was coming. Uh, Barcelona and PSG as well. The the first 10 minutes of the match were ridiculous. It was like a basketball game. Just the ball was going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, but it wasn't surprising that Barcelona got the first goal and they got an early goal on top of that. Um, but definitely after that Barcelona goal, uh, PSG stepped up their game. I don't know what happened, but they took control over that match. And Alana Cook got the equalizer just eight minutes later from a corner kick, um, which Maria Antoinette Catoto got the header uh, from the back post, headed it back into the box. And Alana Cook was just there free for an easy header from close range. Um, really poor defending from Barcelona there in the box. But after that, PSG just kept attacking. I don't know what happened. I don't know why Barcelona just couldn't get back into it. But PSG kept attacking, attacking, and Catoto even hit the post. She broke away on a 1v1 and managed to hit the inside of the post and the ball just like rolled across the goal and somehow just didn't go in. And the match stayed level throughout and finished leveled, obviously. And I think the scoreline was fair for both sides. Um, I think either like either side could have could have definitely won it. Um, either side could have definitely lost it. And obviously, Cristiano Lair, huge shout out to her. Um, I'm proud, you know, as a Chilean, I'm proud of her. As a Barca fan, I kind of hate her. Um, so mixed feelings there for me, but she was a really, really crucial component in PSG's game yesterday. She, uh, I mean, those reaction shaves that she got from close range were ridiculous. And then Alexia Pudeas had a free kick from just outside the box. It was perfectly placed. I mean, you couldn't really ask for a lot more. And there you go, Cristiano, they're just flying across the goal and, and managing to keep that out. But Jesse, you know, from a neutral and from a football analyst perspective, how enjoyable was this match to watch? Yeah, I thought this game was fantastic. I saw a lot of people in the week pointing to Chelsea City as one of the best games they'd watched this season. But due to my allegiances, I didn't really enjoy that one so much. But this was amazing. It just felt like it had everything, you know, like the technical quality of both of the teams was really high. But there was this real like aggressive needling aspect to it as well, which was really enjoyable. You know, lots of tackles flying in. Felt like both teams really wanted it. And there was a really exciting 
chaotic energy to it, which, you know, I think when you when you look at these two sides on paper, you can kind of understand, you know, to have so many high quality players in, you know, like Sandy Baltimore, like Caroline Graham Hampson, like these are players who are going to run at defenders who are like going to create that kind of carnage on the pitch uh, that, you, that you saw there. Um, I kind of felt like at points, both teams were almost so focused on neutralizing each other. That's how you got this like real basketball effect. Like I think a lot of the time it felt like Barcelona was so focused, for example, on like keeping Sandy Baltimore off the ball that that like was taking away from some of their own attacking ability, but it set up really nicely for the, for the second leg. And, and there's really clearly not much between these two teams. I also think it will be one of these two teams who, who wins the competition as a whole, because, you know, we'll come on to Chelsea Bayern later, but it just felt like both of these sides were were a level above Chelsea and Bayern in that other semi-final. Yeah, there was definitely a, a dramatic change between both matches. I think PSG Barcelona was, was a very high intensity, almost I think emotional is the wrong word, but you just kind of felt that that need to win, that passion to win. Like you can tell that these both these sides are really, really hungry to win. I mean, obviously, you know, Bayern and Chelsea are the same, but it was just. It, I think Bayern Chelsea was a bit more of a tactical um, game plan kind of approach rather than just like we're going out with everything that we got. You know, Jesse, you mentioned there that there was a lot of tackles flying through and perhaps at one point, I I mean, I will say as a Barcelona fan, I really thought that the ref was going to dictate the final score and luckily it didn't happen, but it seemed like the ref at one point was kind of losing control of the game. You know, Eden Paredes, she is a PSG captain, but she was, I thought she was a bit... um, a bit uncontrolled sometimes considering she's captain, you know, but there was a lot of fouls that were really unnecessary on her part. And she was really, really aggressive, um, not in like a way that you want her to be. And obviously she's going up against um, most of her teammates because she is captain of the Spanish national team. But, you know, Aiden Paredes could have easily gotten two penalties, one from a foul on Mapi Leon, which easily, I think that was more subjective. You know, it was right for the ref not to call it, but it would have been okay if, if another ref would have called it. Um, and then obviously the handball from Alike Martin's um, shot, Alike Martin's shot and Niran Paredes kind of dove for it and it hit her hand. And you can argue her hands were a bit up, but they were a bit to her body. So again, that was another subjective um, penalty that could have, could have, or, or couldn't have gone either way. But, you know, we won't go into the details of, of each call and whether they were right or wrong, but Abdullah, you know, this match could have gone to anyone. And I don't say that, I mean, it just, it's, as Jesse said, you know, there's not much in between these two um, sides. They play very similarly. They have players that are at the peak of their career, you know, and and Caroline Graham Hansen and Lik Martens and Alexia Putellas, etc. But how worried are you that sometimes that the officiating in these matches at this stage in the Champions League could give an unfair advantage to the other team? Like, does that take away from the quality of football that's being played at the moment? Yeah, you know, sometimes you have to be really, you know, it, it is a worry just because you have such a good spectacle going on, This, you know, the one like yesterday. And then suddenly, you know, if there's one wrong call, one, you know, there could have easily been a red card yesterday. I mean, just the way things were going, a red card could have shown in the fifth minute, the 10th minute, the 50th minute, it could have come at any time. And that kind of just ruins the spectacle of the, you know, of the game. I think at the end of the day, 1-1 is, is a fair result, everything considered. Um, and it kind of sets the tie up, you know, for, for the second leg. But I think, you know, if there was an extra penalty given or there was a, you know, red card given, I think that would have changed the tie. And kind of just talking about these calls, I mean, um, you know, if the, the, the new handball laws, it's it's weird 
you know, like you said, it's it's like some refs will interpret it one way, other refs will say, you know, I mean, at this point in time, we've seen this season, like literally anything hits the arm, it's been given as a foul or a penalty. Like it, it can be to your side, it can be slightly up here. It's 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 a weird thing. So handballs are, you know, I, handballs are the tricky one. That's that's where I find it. Um, a bit. It's like every time the ball gets anywhere near the box and people's hands are across, that's that's where it gets a little bit um, a little bit scary. But um, other than that, I think I think the game. I think the game luckily didn't go to that point and we got a really, really fun game. And PSG actually surprised me a little bit. Just I thought that Barcelona would have a little bit more of control in the game, but PSG came up with a really good game plan. I think the Alana Cook, Ashley Lawrence right flank uh, move was was really smart. It kind of gave you a, uh, while well, Ashley Lawrence is an attacking fullback, she just gives you that defensive presence when she plays further up front. And that whole thing, you, you know, uh, we talked about neutralizing them together. I think that also played into it, but um, they didn't miss Diani as much as I thought they would miss Diani. I think Ashley Lawrence did a good job in. And doing that, and then hey, the player to come in, Alana Cook, kind of you know gets them there. And uh, I don't think we've seen Barcelona being tested this much from set pieces physically. And I think that is that's that's been a that's been a surprising thing that you know I think now, if they do manage to go through to the final, that'll be something that the the other team, whether it's Chelsea or Bayern, will will look to to exploit, especially Chelsea if they do go through, if Barcelona do manage to get through it. Yeah, and we were talking about it before the match when we found out that Diani wasn't going to feature for PSG. Um, we were kind of just like picking our brains, trying to figure out what's going to happen. And I think the most the most logical answer that we came up with was potentially Roman and Bachman or Rune slotting into that right winger role. Or even um, we've seen it before of PSG kind of playing a four four two with Katoto and Witema up top. Um, but definitely Ashley Lawrence as the right winger was not in our in our text at all um but you know Abdullah going back to you and kind of feeding off of your Lyon knowledge you know obviously Keira Hamraoui played for Lyon played for PSG now plays for Barcelona and playing against PSG you know she slotted into this match as a central defensive midfielder instead of Patri who is suspended who well, who was suspended for the first leg and will be available for the second leg and I thought she played really well um she brings a different kind of defensive security than Patri does. Patri obviously does bring that security. She's a good um, player that takes the ball away from the from the opponent, but she's also, I think Patri brings more of a distributing factor than Keira Hamraoui. Not to say that Hamraoui is bad at that because she's still, obviously she's really good, but I think Keira Hamraoui brings that aggressiveness and, and physicality into that role. Do you think that Hamraoui is potentially undervalued at Barcelona and by Barcelona fans? A little bit, I think, just because she doesn't fit the typical Barcelona mold that uh, you know that, that Patricia, the, the Patricia, you know, Guiaro gives. Um, I butchered the name. I butchered the name, but I'm going to continue. Just say uh, Patri next time; it's easier. I'm just going to say Patri. Finish. I'm just going to say Patri. I think I think she gives her the she gives a, a totally different sort of like profile of player in there, and I think in some sense, I think Kiara Hamraoui almost fits the tactics of this game better just because of the physicality and the aggressiveness of the PSG players and kind of the way they played it. You know, if anything, to some small extent, I would even start her again next next game just because of how physical PSG were and just kind of giving her height and her presence in, in the game. But I think if she's in another team that, that, that focuses a little bit, not less on tiki-taka possession football, but I think someone who, you know, a team that uses a little bit more physicality, a little bit more aggressiveness. You know what? Put her in the PSG side again now, maybe she actually show, becomes looks a little bit better uh, and maybe it becomes a little bit more recognized in the game. So I think it's it's more just because of the style that Barcelona have more that, you know, that, that makes her look like she isn't really as good as she actually is. 
Yeah, I think that is fair to say. You know, obviously Jenny Ronso also played with PSG before, but I think she she did enjoy the aggressiveness of it, but she obviously fits, you know, the Barcelona way of, of playing. She is a lot like Mirama who plays at that as that central striker, but she also likes to drop and play the ball off of the midfielders. But, you know, Jesse, looking forward to the second leg. What are you saying about the second leg? It's being played at the Johan Cruyff Arena and there will be Barcelona fans um, to cheer them, cheer them on. I think it's about 1,000 fans that are at the stadium. How big of an advantage is that? It's been a long time since we've seen fans at a women's football game. But also, what do you think will happen in Barcelona? You know, we've mentioned what happened in the first leg, the aggressiveness. Obviously, PSG um, have to come, have to win now. Um, obviously, if they get in a way, go, that's a whole different story. But what do you think will happen at Barcelona? What do you think the tactics will be after seeing this first leg? Yeah, I think it will be interesting. I think the returnees could have a big factor um I did think Kira Hamrari had a good game but I thought you could really see how she wasn't necessarily able to dictate from midfield in the way that Patrick Guiaro can and so I think her returning I think will be a really big boost for Barcelona because a lot of the time it felt like when they had possession in that area they didn't really have the same kind of outlet that perhaps they that you might have expected um, I think Barcelona definitely have the advantage going into this. I, d- I thought they were really the better team. As we said, with some of the refing decisions, I thought the the Mappy Leon foul, I thought that that should have been a penalty as well, actually, personally. So I just think, and obviously there was that Oshawala chance right at the end. I feel like it felt like Barcelona did have the edge in this game, whereas PSG, okay, Katoto had like two great opportunities to go through on goal, but with but. Barcelona not needing the win in that way. I think they can really like sit back and and I thought generally defensively they were very good. So I I think Barcelona will go through. Um, they do seem to sometimes have a you know sense of like shooting themselves in the foot in these games, but I think they are the the better side and I, I think with the fans that that should help. I had forgotten about that last minute Oshawa chance. You just brought all the pain back. That was. For those of you who didn't watch, basically, it was a brilliant cross on the floor, hard-driven cross into the box. Oshola had no one around her. All she needed to do was a little tap in, and she missed the ball completely, and it just went through her legs. Um, So that was great. Um, But, you know, moving on to the other one, the other Champions League match, which is a lot to talk about. Uh, You know, Bayern pulled off a 2-1 win over Chelsea, which we were expecting for Bayern to win, but especially over these last two weeks when Bayern has been really, really bad in the league. Um, we, I don't think, personally at least, I wasn't expecting it that much. Um, but I would say it was well-deserved over a very, very poor Chelsea side. Despite the tremendous quality on the Bayern side, obviously, I think they came into this match like mentally knowing that they are the underdogs when they're playing against Chelsea. I think it was more about executing a certain game plan playing intelligently rather than going out to fight like PSG and Barcelona did. Um, you know, Bayern Munich just finished with 36% possession, but they finished with three shots on target and Chelsea only had one. Um, they Bayern had 10 attempts on goal and Chelsea had 12. You know, the possession is ridiculous, but when you look at the shots on target, the attempts on target, they're, you know, Bayern essentially did better. Um, Cindy Lohman, a.k.a. Cindy Goldman, <laughs> got the opening goal of the match from a header, which came from a brilliant Hannah Glass cross. And Katrinberger was unable to control the ball, kind of fingertipped it out, and the rebound fell to Goleman, who reacted really, really well just to get the header on target, really. 
And Bayern's second goal was an absolute golazo uh, from Hannah Glass. A brilliant shot from the top of the box that just dipped beautifully under the ball. There's literally, she had so much space. That was really poor defending from Chelsea, but she took that to her advantage. She basically took the invitation for a shot and she went for it. And it just, it was beautiful. Um, And Chelsea's only goal was accidental. (laughs) And um, a Bayern defender cleared the ball in the box with her head. So it wasn't the most uh, strongest of clearances, but the ball hit Menoni Lopez. And she wasn't even looking at the ball. So she kind of just got hit, hit in the head and her face was like, what? And it, it was a beautiful goal at the end of the day. It just looped over, just like roll out of reach for anyone. Uh, Byron defender trying to kick it out, but she couldn't. Um, so that was the accidental match. You should have seen Melanie Lopez's face. If you look at the slow motion when she gets a hit in the head, she has absolutely no idea what's happening. Anyway, uh, Jesse, give us your analysis on the match. You know, obviously from a Chelsea perspective, you're probably a bit disappointed of what happened, but how well did Byron execute their game plan against Chelsea? Yeah, I, I think it was a very clever setup. I think in part because it was quite an unexpected setup and it felt like Chelsea had kind of planned for one game and a different one like opened up tactically in front of them and they didn't really know how to adapt. I thought the return of Ben Carth in goal for Bayern was like, immeasurably important you know like she's been out injured for those two league games where they'd conceded five goals and the whole buying defense in those games had just looked so nervous whereas she obviously just gave them a lot more confidence today I thought there was some strange tactical choices from Chelsea um I thought you know we saw like Fran Kirby dropping centrally into midfield quite a lot which it felt like she wanted to pick up the ball and run with it, but there was obviously then no one in front of her, especially because Jess Carter was like the more defensive option of the right backs. It felt like if Hayes had wanted Kirby to be doing that, she should have played Charles, who was more likely to make that that run further forward uh, and be better on the ball. I thought, you know, I think in the cold light of the next day, I feel slightly better about the game than I did yesterday because I do think... I know Chelsea only you know had one shot on target, but I thought that they did create a number of good opportunities, especially in the first half. They were able to play like very quickly and centrally through Bayern's midfield, kind of like low pulse to Kirby to Harder, like almost moving in a column, which was interesting. Although Bayern did tighten up on that in the second half, I thought Sam Kerr really struggled against you know basically Bayern playing these like three central defenders. She she had no opportunity to be on the last shoulder, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if maybe we do see. Beth England starting the second leg because I thought when she came on, Chelsea did hold the ball up a lot better and she kind of had that more like taller physical presence and she had a, a great chance. She was quite unlucky with the, when G's shot came off the, the crossbar that the bounce was just a little bit too high for her and it, and it could have been a different game, but you know, maybe there's a sense of just Chelsea have gone through their nine lives in this competition. It felt like, you know, that there was, you know, the, the burger mistake kind of felt like bad luck and then the goal was luck and it just kind of feels like maybe maybe that's it maybe those things can't last forever and yeah it was a, it was another poor game from John Anderson as well and I think moving forward at, at left back Chelsea really need to to or just cross the whole back line they they really need to recruit a bit better because it it just feels like that that doesn't really work very well we've talked a lot about Anderson's positioning before but I actually didn't think her positioning was that bad in this game it was more just she she absolutely is a terrible 1v1 defender and Hannah Glass is Swedish and they knew that and so they just ran at her all game and that's basically how how both the goals were conceded yeah there was there was a lot of space left on the wings there particularly I think 
also, you know, we talk a lot about Magda Eris and, and, and how good she is. And I think the domino effect of both her leadership and the player that she is was, was a big factor here because obviously, you know, Millie Bright is a great player. She's a great leader, but she's not as vocal as, as Magda. She's not, she's not as, as an extrovert of, as a captain as Magda is, you know, Magda is not scared to call you out on your shit on the pitch. She's not scared. You know, Millie Bright is kind of a bit more of a quiet leader. Um, And in matches like this, when you're, when you know, you're not having a good game, that's when you need your captain to go to. Um, But Jesse, you know, obviously it's your team. And you probably have more to say this than I do, but uh, how big of an impact was Magda's absence? Yeah, well, I think it was just interesting. I spoke to Karen Carney before the game on Friday, and she said that the reason, part of the reason why Magda Eriksson is so important, rather than just her ability, is that she constantly is speaking to Jonna Anderson to keep her in position. I did then speak to Mia Eriksson and we suggested they should just put Magda in the stands with a megaphone behind and uh, just keep her in position like that. Um, but yeah, I think that is a big a big factor. And it was interesting. You actually saw Millie Bright and Sophie Ingle um, swap because Bright had stuck as the right side of centre-back and Ingle's the left side of centre-back. But obviously, if John Anson is great 1v1 defending, normally Eriksson is then the, the next line of defence there. And clearly Sophie Ingle is also not a defender, so was also not being able to necessarily do that. So I thought that was a was an interesting switch um, to try and uh, help with that. I mean, I don't. Emma Hayes just lies so much in press conferences. I don't know. She said Magda Eriksson had had trained on Friday, but it was like even true. I don't know. Is she going to be back for the second leg? I've got no idea. Um, I think if she is, that would be a, a very big mental boost as much as um, uh, a tactical one. But yeah, I have honestly got no idea what the, I don't think anyone has any idea what the state of Magda Eriksson's injury actually is. No, I've actually given up asking him press conferences about Magda because I always get, when was it? I think I got, uh, I asked her ahead of, was it the game on the weekend or was it this like, I asked. It was the city game. Yeah, it was against the the city game. And she's like, yeah, I got everyone fully available and there you have Magda not playing. So I'm never asking anything again. Um, But Abdullah, uh, you know, we, we talk about how poor Chelsea were, but also, you know, Jesse mentioned early, earlier also that Chelsea were stuck. They prepared for a certain type of game. And when Byron basically just played better footballistic, uh, like on a tactical level wise, do you think that Emma Hayes and Chelsea perhaps underestimated the Byron side? I mean, we're talking about a side who, you know, we talk about the Chelsea depth and bench, but here you have Bayern Munich bringing on Linda Dahlman, Lea Schuler, and Karina Weniger off the bench, just like that in the last seconds of the game. You know, Lea Schuler has 13 goals in the league right now. That's that's not, a, you know, that's not a bench player, sort of say. Um, but we also mentioned that um, the f- Chelsea fullbacks were pushed up pretty high. I'm obviously looking for that goal. And a lot of the time, the Bayern were, were really happy to just sit back, defend really well, manage that, and then hurt Chelsea on the counterattack. And if you look at most of their counterattacks, they were all on the right wing. Every, you know, Hannah Glass's cross, Hannah Glass's goal. There was a, a last um, counterattack. I think Cindy Goldman led that one. She got the ball. I think off G just drove forward. You can say it was, I would like to think that it was on purpose, but she drove and she kind of cut off to the right. And then you had two Bayern players running and Cindy, she held onto the ball enough to pull Millie Bright out of position. And when Millie Bright stepped centrally, then she released the ball to the wing. And then honestly, that finish in a shot on goal, um, off target, but it finished with a pretty decent shot. Did Emma Hayes underestimate Bayern Munich, Abdullah? I think the 
their last couple of league games where they started losing and conceding goals, I think that just created a false sense of security in everybody's uh, in everybody's minds. Everyone just thought, wait, is this the real Bayern? Is they actually not as good as we thought they were the entire season? So, you know what? Maybe, maybe, maybe I think a little bit. I think maybe uh, Emma Hayes thought that she'd have a... I think she did think that she would have more possession than game, which they did. Uh, Bayern were happy to sit down and counterattack, like you said. But um, I didn't think that she thought they would be as dialed in and focused as as they have been just because of the last couple of league games they were not as good and they and, and you know and they lost they lost a couple of games. John Anderson's positioning, I think I think they saw what Wolfsburg did because again, even against Wolfsburg, they took advantage of the spaces behind the fullbacks. John Anderson was out of position a few times and they took advantage of it. And just the only difference was that Chelsea had a little bit of luck and they were able to finish the game off against Wolfsburg. But you know, sooner rather than later, somebody was going to take advantage and and, and you know pull through and, and make them pay. And, and Byron seemingly had that game plan. Like you said, Hannah Glass knows, you know, Hannah Glass knows uh John Anderson inside out because they both play for the national team together. So I felt like they manipulated the the defenders, you know, in their positions really well by, you know, using their movement. And I think, like Jesse said, it comes down to, it just comes down to the recruitment and the players of them. Mag Dexon's importance couldn't be more highlighted now than it ever has been just because of her, you know, like we said, the way she talks and leadership and being able to put players in positions. We've seen teams when they lose center backs, the entire team falls apart just because it starts from the back and goes forward. But if you don't have that, that intelligence of, positioning and being able to tell other people where to move it doesn't work we've heard you know uh, you know we've seen other teams like you know you, you look at Leon and Wendy Renard if she's not Wendy Renard's not there they're a whole different unit at the back because Wendy Renard may not be quick but she knows how to control that defense it's the same sort of effect so I think um, I think there's going to be some work to do in the summer defensively because I mean Ingle's a good defensive minded player but she's not a center back she's not a She's not a center back when you have teams who are going to hit you quick and who are going to hit you uh, uh, aggressively. She's more of a if you're going to play in a three in a three man back line, she's a perfect she's a perfect you know third center back for that system. But I don't think she can play in a two. They need better recruitment you know as a backup center back. They need better recruitment at fullback because I mean we've seen this season you know when one Maeldegon yes Charles has been good. And uh, Jess Carter's come in and had a few flashes of brilliance, but they still need, I think, someone else to kind of come in who's, um, and I'm talking about all across the defense. They need just that one or two extra people who can come in and just bring that little bit of extra quality. When one person goes, they can kind of fit in and say, okay, we'll step into the shoes and we'll be consistent and, and make sure there's no difference in, in our defense. I think just to add to that, the loss of Mielda is also a problem in that sense because Mielda in many ways acts as the backup centre-back. Yeah. That would normally be the, the change that Hayes would, would look to have if if there was a an injury. And I think she's a better centre-back than Sophie Ingo is. So you're just really seeing the knock-on effects of also how important just the loss of Mielda was. And I guess it's just for, so frustrating, like purely as a fan, but to lose... Mielda in a game where you were 6-0 up and it didn't matter anymore and to lose Ericsson from an FA Cup game against second division opposition, just both of them just feel like so such frustrating injuries to, to have lost, but it just kind of shows how brutal football is. You work for, for a whole season and, and then, you know, that, that happens and, and that's the effect it has on your side. Yeah, the season could unravel in a matter of a week. 
literally the season that everything they built for could just go away next next week or next midweek and, and then it's back to the drawing board yeah basically i would say that though i think chelsea can can at this point see out the season see out the title without magda uh, purely because of the mentality of you know getting that that trophy but i think in the champions league i don't think that mentality can push them as hard as it will with the league So after a Millie Bright level of a blunder this afternoon, uh, we're cutting this a bit short and just making it a Champions League episode because we actually did record a WSL portion of this, including the Man City Chelsea game. But I will take fault here and call myself Millie Bright and say that I forgot to press record. So we're leaving it at the Champions League. <laughs> Apologies. And Jess was Magda Eriksson in the stands with the megaphone. Yeah, yeah, I was like, you're yeah. out of position, Alex. <laughs> yeah, they. I thought they had a question and I kindly accepted the question. And then Jesse just said, are we recording after about half an hour of talking and realized that I never pressed record. Um, so that happened today. That's um, a first. It took us, what, like 10 episodes to finally mess up something. <laughs> this is always this is always the the kind of the worst nightmare of of doing a podcast but anyway it happened um maybe fitting because Justy is a Chelsea fan so I think it just rubbed off on us really um but we'll end the episode there and we'll come back to the WSL another day um but we hope you enjoyed what was the Champions League section of this episode and we'll be back for another box box WSL episode and we'll see you next time for more WSL and Women's Champions Champions League action that will be played this weekend. And we promise we will hit record for that episode. Make sure you're following our official Twitter account at BoxBoxWSL to keep up to date with all information and updates about the pod. And you can also follow us individually there. Um, but see you soon. And thank you, everyone. We promise, we promise, we promise we will hit record for every episode from now on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. <laughs> Bye guys. See you later. Bye bye.